Hello and welcome to this episode of Before Economics, the history of political economy. Friendship between intellectual rivals can be difficult. An expression attributed to Gore Vidal captures the point nicely. Whenever a friend succeeds, a little something in me dies. It is highly likely that Thomas Robert Malthus felt something similar as David Ricardo's reputation grew following the publication of his Principles of Political Economy and Taxation. Malthus's own reputation had been cemented following critical acclaim of the second edition of his essay on the principle of population, and his career had been guaranteed with his appointment to a professorship at the East India College. The first signs of a reversal in Malthus's fortunes came following his defence of the Corn Laws, which saw the prestigious Whig journal, the Edinburgh Review, close its pages to him. By 1819, this position had not changed, while Ricardo had published the second edition of his Principles. It was in this context that Malthus published the text under study today, Principles of Political Economy. Terry Peach explains. Then comes Ricardo, and within the space of a very few years, Ricardo is getting more and more of a reputation. He is, at least for some, displacing Malthus as the most interesting and serious figure. Malthus, one suspects, was irritated by this. And indeed, it is true that Malthus's own Principles of Political Economy, published in 1820, is largely an attack on Ricardo. An attack on Ricardo, one may suspect, made in order to try and re-establish Malthus's own position. It's also very odd. Uh, they were, apparently, friends. They dined at each other's houses. Their relationship in correspondence is cordial. And yet, Malthus never warned Ricardo of what he was going to do. Or rather, we can see that he dropped a, a hint in the form of a very strange conundrum, theoretical conundrum, in correspondence with Ricardo, but he didn't explain clearly his criticisms. So when uh, Malthus has published his own work, these criticisms did come as a huge shock. The huge shock owed to the fact that Malthus's book attempted to reveal that Ricardo was mistaken on key doctrinal issues, including the nature of rent, value, price, and free trade. The case of rent exemplifies the way that Malthus and Ricardo differed on both political and theoretical grounds. Malthus treated rent not as the undeserved payment to the rentier class, but as a natural byproduct of progress that existed for three reasons. First, rent was the gift of nature to humanity, deriving from the Earth's fecundity. Second, the fact that food created its own demand by allowing the population to grow made land a special type of commodity. Third, Fertile land was limited. This last factor was especially important, as the course of progress would see fertile land increase in relative value compared to other lands. Malthus described this process as a natural law, ordained by God. Here the differences between Malthus and Ricardo come into clear view. Ricardo also treated the progress of population as causing rents to rise, but this was part of a thought experiment designed to reveal a causal relationship. The political implications were unsettling class conflict appeared to lie at the foundation of the economic process. By contrast, Malthus portrayed the rise in rents in theological terms and went to great efforts to demonstrate that a harmonious connection existed between landlords and society. In this respect, critics of Malthus have repeatedly suggested that he was a reactionary thinker, 
an apologist for the current order of things. This portrait certainly gains strength if we return to the arguments of Malthus's essay on population. We learned in an earlier episode that in that work, Malthus made the seemingly ironic argument that the best way to help the poor and suffering was to cease giving them assistance. Of course, Malthus's argument was far more sophisticated than that gloss would suggest. It was an analysis of long-run dynamics operating through impersonal mechanisms, and it was intended to align human institutions with natural laws created by God. The reading of Malthus as a reactionary should also be resisted in view of his position on the Bank of England. Like Ricardo, he targeted the bank as responsible for the rise in prices through its mishandling of the note issue. Malthus also reacted passionately when he learned that supporters of the slave trade had drawn arguments from his work, asking William Wilberforce to assure the Parliament that no such support could rightfully be found. Finally, Malthus appears to have been aligned with the progressive wing of the progressive party of his time, the Whig Party. Perhaps the best shorthand lesson to be drawn regarding Malthus and politics is that he does not map onto the left-right spectrum as we understand it today. Where it is easier to draw conclusions regarding Malthus, however, regards his comportment towards Ricardo. It seems clear that he was prepared to attack his friend and rival in the interests of the science and for the less noble motive of securing his own place in history. Above all, Malthus felt that Ricardo had diverted political economy from its source in Smith's Wealth of Nations by adopting an excessively theoretical approach to questions that were at least partly practical in nature. Almost the entire force of Malthus's introduction is spent in making this point, that political economy resembled the science of morals, not mathematics. Terry Peach again. Malthus, of course, also produces this new sort of historiography in which he claims that political economy has been split asunder as a result of Ricardo's intervention. It's Malthus who claims uh, that what happens after Ricardo is the formation of two schools, the so-called New School, uh, headed by Ricardo, and then the School of Adam Smith. And he portrays himself as the leader of the School of Adam Smith, which evidently he believes to be uh, the School of Truth. The New School, as he presents it, has based its theory on various theoretical errors. This shows how he sees himself and how he wishes to invent himself as the leader, as it were, of the opposition. So, Malthus was the true heir to Smith, and Ricardo was the heretic. Along with doctrinal errors, Ricardo also failed in method. Malthus insisted that the business of generalising needed to be handled with great care. The particular danger that Malthus had in mind was that when a generalisation was made from incomplete or biased evidence, the generalisation would be wrong. It followed that a key skill for the political economist to deploy was in generating and inspecting their evidence. Yet a particular frame of mind, such as Ricardo's, derived great pleasure from generalising and was therefore reluctant to submit their generalisations to the test of evidence. A related failing was to think that making exceptions to general rules weakened the science, when in fact it was the ability to make judicious exceptions to general rules that was the mark of true wisdom. Ricardo, in short, was endangering the science by departing from Smith and by advancing false doctrines based on false reasoning. Such criticism would have stretched any friendship. Ricardo had planned to respond with a commentary on Malthus's work, but his friend and mentor, James Mill, dissuaded him for fear of confounding the public mind. 
The great tragedy of Ricardo's death is that both the friendship and the rivalry came to an end prematurely. This episode of Before Economics was brought to you by the European Society for the History of Economic Thought, written and spoken by me, Dr. Ryan Walter, at the University of Queensland. Special thanks to Terry Peach. The audio engineer was Ni Adepoyabit.